How would you respond if you were in the presence of Jesus? What would you say? What would he say to you? Would you be intimidated? Would you feel anxious? In John chapter 4, we have an unlikely meeting between Jesus, the Son of God, and a woman of Samaria. And as you read the text, you have to be impressed with the conversation that took place between these two individuals and the results that came forth. I want to begin our study today by first of all talking about the interest that Jesus had on this woman or in this woman. Jesus was interested in the soul. And we know that from looking at many, many passages of Scripture. Jesus, of course, came to deliver man from the bondage of sin. And so when Jesus came in contact with people, he viewed them not just as a human being, but as a soul. And so in John chapter 4, we have an unlikely meeting between this woman of Samaria and Jesus, the Son of God. Now, if you pick up with me in about verse 5, the text tells us that Jesus came to a city of Samaria called Sychar. And that town was about 20 miles or so north of the city of Jerusalem. And John tells us that the place that Jesus came to was near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey. Isn't it interesting that the Son of God, we talk about the humanity of Jesus. And here John speaks of the weariness of the Son of God. So he's wearied from his journey. And he sat down by the well and it was about the sixth hour. In other words, it was about noontime, lunchtime for many of us. And then in verse 7, the Bible says that a woman of Samaria came to draw some water. And Jesus asked a favor of this lady. He said, give me a drink. Now you have to understand that this was unusual in many respects. But I think about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, not allowing what we call human barriers to impede relationships. We understand that there are many barriers that are sometimes erected between us and other people. And those barriers could be social in nature, racial, political, financial, and the list goes on and on. But if you look at what is said in this context, listen to what John records in verse 9. 
The disciples, of course, had gone away into the city to buy bread. And the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Now note the commentary given. The Bible says, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. First of all, Jesus didn't let a person's ancestry stop him or prevent him from talking to them. On this occasion, here is a Samaritan woman. And if you go back and you look at the dealings between the Jews and the Samaritans, the Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans. They were a despised lot of people. And you can trace their lineage going back to the northern kingdom that was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And so this woman was amazed that Jesus would even speak to her. Is it possible that sometimes, because of a person's ancestors, that is, their family background, we're somewhat hesitant to talk to them about the gospel? There's a second thing here. Jesus didn't prevent gender from stopping him in talking with this woman. In John chapter 4, when the disciples came back, and saw Jesus talking to this woman, they marveled that he was talking to this Samaritan woman. They asked the question in verse 27, why are you talking with her? You have to understand that in the first century, women were viewed not like they are today. They were, in the eyes of some, a step lower. And so, if you begin to look at what is recorded here, here's a lady that has two strikes against her right off the bat. Number one, she's a Samaritan. Number two, she's a woman. Women were viewed as property by many in that day. Now, you can read the gospel narratives of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll be amazed at how Jesus would many times cross those barriers and walk through open doors, as we would say, to talk to people. He didn't allow somebody's family background to come between him and that individual. He wouldn't allow gender to stand in the way. He wouldn't allow finances to stand in the way of talking to somebody about, about himself. Do you remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And he was viewed unfavorably, unfavorably by those in his day. As a matter of fact, tax collectors were despised individuals. Many times they were guilty of skimming money. And yet Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I must abide in your house today. Salvation has come to your house. And the Lord would say in Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so finances did not impede the Lord. He wasn't impressed, so to speak, with somebody's political clout or monetary clout. And then the other end of the spectrum, I think about just modern, everyday people. Common people, as we would say. 
Mark tells us in chapter 12, verse 37 of his book, that the common people heard him gladly. Jesus had the ability to, rel to relate to people of various backgrounds. And so the thrust of this is, if we're, going to if we're going to make an impression on people, then we've got to be able to move beyond human barriers. And rather than seeing somebody politically or based on their family background or their social status or their material state or whatever, we've got to see them as a human soul, a soul in need of the gospel. So Jesus was interested in this woman. And we have to be interested in people to reach out to the lost. There's a second thing I want you to see. And that is the fact that the Lord invested in this woman of Samaria. In other words, he made an investment in her. If you're going to reach somebody for Christ, you're going to have to make an investment in them. It's going to entail some things on your part and mine as well. For example, Jesus gave this woman his time. You ever thought about how precious time was to Jesus? Jesus Christ was on a timeline, as we say. He came at a specified time. His ministry lasted about three and a half years. And Jesus would say over in John chapter 9, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. For he said, the night's coming when no man can work. In other words, death would intervene. It will for us. So Jesus gave this woman some time. Now, at Jacob's well, there are some things that emerged, basically a conversation. And I want you to see, first of all, that he talked to her about water. Note, if you would, in verse 10, he had asked the woman for water. And, of course, she said, how do you ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? So Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, she's thinking about Ordinary water, the water that's in Jacob's well. And so she said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus said, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. That is, those who go to Jacob's well will continue to make that track. Why? Because it is an innate need. We have to have water to survive, don't we? But then he said, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Again, Jesus is talking about spiritual things, eternal life. But again, she hasn't made the connection. She said, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. So she's thinking about the physical, and he's talking about the spiritual. 
And there are times when we talk to people about the Lord and they don't necessarily understand everything we're saying. I find it interesting that Mark tells us that Jesus taught the people the word as they were able to bear it. And so, again, verse 14, Jesus said, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The woman, she, she wants this water rather than having to make that track. And so, note if you would, in verse 16, Jesus now turns his attention to her wayward lifestyle. She had a wicked background. He said, go call your husband and come here. And she said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you have well said I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Here's a woman that had a history of broken relationships. Jesus said, look, you've been married five times. The guy you now have, you're not even married to him. She was living in immorality, wasn't she? I was thinking about this woman yesterday. And I thought about, here's somebody that, here's somebody that could have related to hurt, to heartbreak, to broken relationships, impaired feelings. Is it the case that there are many people in the world today who are hurting, not just physically, but also spiritually. When you talk to people about Jesus and you begin talking to them about what the Lord can do for them, there are times when you have to deal with a person's past. And sometimes the people you're dealing with have some rough past. They've been in immorality. They have been in despair. They have encountered any number of problems. And they're broken. And I think in large part this woman was broken. And she had a need and the Lord was going to meet that need. And so he talks to her about her, way, her wayward lifestyle. Her wickedness. And then he turns attention to worship. Now, the woman makes this observation in verse 19, and rightly so. She said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. I mean, after all, he had told her, you've been married five times, the man you're now living with is not your husband. That got her attention. So, note if you would what she said. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you say, that is, you Jews say, that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Well, Jerusalem was the center for worship under the old covenant, the law of Moses. The Samaritans, however, they did not accept 
the Old Testament in its entirety. They accepted the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. And so Jesus said, you worship what you do not know. We worship, or we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But he said, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This was a long-standing question among many people in that day, particularly the Samaritans. So there was some interest, spiritually speaking, on her part. Now some would say she tried to, to change the tone of the conversation. She turned to worship rather than talking about her past. Whatever the case may have been, I want you to see, not only did Jesus give this lady his time, but he also gave her truth. Jesus Christ was the embodiment of truth, wasn't he? What he said about worship was correct. He said, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, if you look at verse 25... Note, if you would, the perception of this woman. She's catching on. She said, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ, that is the anointed one. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Now, she had just earlier said, I perceive that you're a prophet. She's gone now from a prophet to the Messiah, the Christ, to talking about the one who would come. Note, though, note, if you would, his profession. He said, I who speak to you am he. The Lord Jesus Christ just revealed his identity to this woman. You can read the gospel narratives. And this is not typical of the Lord, is it? We talk about his message, his miracles, and the fact that people could observe what he did. They could listen to what he, say, what he said and then they could draw their conclusions. Well, this woman's saying, look, I know the Messiah is coming, the Christ is coming. When he comes, he's going to tell us everything. And then Jesus said, look, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. There's a third thing I want you to see now. As a result of this meeting, this interaction we have some interesting things that take place. Drop down to verse 28 now. In verse 28, the disciples have come back and they marveled that he talked with this woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or, or why are you talking with her? So they were questioning why would he be doing this, thinking this. Now note if you would verse 28. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Note the invitation. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. If we're going to reach out to people who are lost, it begins with an invitation, doesn't it? There is an invitation to people to study, to come to worship, to come to Bible study. 
to think about spiritual things, it begins with an invitation. And this woman is saying to those in the city, why not come? See this man that's told me everything I've ever done. And then note, if you would, the inquisition. Note what she asked. Could this be the Christ? When you talk to people about their soul and you talk to people about what the Bible has to say, sometimes they'll ask you questions, but we ought to be asking questions. We ought to ask people, what, what do you think? What does the Bible say? What do you think about the church? What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about his way of redemption? And the list goes on and on. When you ask questions, it stimulates thought. And it's incumbent on us to be ready to give an answer to every man that asks us of the hope that's in us with meekness and fear. And those who are in the world, they need to be able to, to defend what they believe or what they think. They ought to be able to tell you, it may be the case, they don't know anything. But now note, if you would, her influence. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, listen to this. Now we believe not because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Note the connection. This woman was the channel to bring the parties together. That is, Jesus on the one hand and the Samaritan people on the other. And what I want us to see is we are the connection. We have to connect with people if they're going to become Christians, if they're going to obey the gospel. Just a moment ago, we handed out some pieces of paper. I want to ask you a question. And I want you to raise your hand if you would. Do you know anyone? Could be a friend, a family member. It could be a coworker, a classmate. It might be a neighbor. It might be somebody that you know that, that works at the grocery, a department store, whatever. Do you know one person, one person that is lost? Raise your hand. Do you know one person that has never obeyed the gospel? Now, you could also include in that somebody that at one time have, had obeyed the gospel but they're unfaithful today. Most hands went up. So we all know at least one person that is lost. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to take that piece of paper and write one name on it. Now you don't have to share that name with anyone, but write one name on that paper. Whether it's your parents your siblings, your grandparents, great-grandparents, your neighbors, your classmates, your co-workers, whatever the case may be. One person, that's all I'm asking, just one person. Write that name down on this piece of paper that has been given to you. 
And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In the, spring of year, in the spring of the year, farmers, if they're going to harvest their crops in the fall, they've got to plant seed, don't they? And in the planting of seed, there has to be cultivation. You've got to work the ground, don't you? You've got to till it. You've got to get the weeds out. You've got to dig the hole to put the seed in. You've got to make sure that once the seed is in, it gets plenty of water. And so, spiritually speaking, the name that you put down on that paper, on that piece of paper, you're going to have to do some groundwork, probably. Just like the farmer has to till the land and dig a hole, etc., you're going to have to work that, work that ground. It might begin with a simple invitation. Why not come to Bible study with me? Why not come to worship? It might begin by asking the question, would you be willing to study the Bible with me? Here's the, here's the bottom line. We have to be interested in the souls of people. We have to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be willing to expend our time our energy, it may cost us some money, but we've got to be interested in the souls of people. Now, if you have a name written down on that piece of paper, why not post that on the mirror in your bathroom or put it on your refrigerator? Every time you go in the bathroom, every time you go in the kitchen and get something out of the refrigerator, there's that name. And you're thinking about that person. And you're praying for them. And you are trying to sow the seed. In time, you know what will happen? We'll see people obey the gospel. Right here. We'll see people that maybe have been unfaithful for years. Right back here. Because of you. Now, the thrust of our lesson, one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ isn't here. So we have to do the one-on-one -on -one ministry. We have to be able to meet with people, to talk to people, to counsel with people, to encourage people, to teach people. It's not a one-man job. It's not a job that can be carried out or executed with 10 men or 20 men. It takes each and every one of us. We've got to look beyond the four walls of this church building. Sometimes we get so focused on self, we forget there's a lost and dying world out there. We come here to worship, but we leave to serve. We've got to think about the souls of people. One day we're going to stand before God in the judgment. And I want to be like the Apostle Paul who could say to the elders of the church at Ephesus many, many years ago, I'm free from the blood of all men. If somebody rejects the gospel and we have taught them, then the blood's on them. It's not on us. Did you know that there might be people in heaven because of you? 
The flip side of that is there might be people who do not go to heaven because of you. You're the link. You know somebody that's lost. I want to ask you this question. Do you care enough to share the gospel with them? If you don't care enough, something's wrong. You need, as the psalmist said, a revival. Now, it might be the case that you're here today and you're not a Christian. You've never obeyed the gospel. I want to encourage you to become a child of God today. The Bible tells us that we have to have faith. We have to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, John 8, 24, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. We have to be willing to repent, to turn from a life of sin. We have to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, Acts 8, 37. And then be immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that every sin can be washed away, according to Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Now, if, if you do that, God will put you in the church. There is nothing more thrilling than baptizing somebody into Jesus Christ. I want to see all of us in heaven. I want to see all of us take someone to heaven with us. I ask you to write down one name, not 10 names, not 20 names, not 30 names, just one. Surely all of us can reach out to one person and lead them to Christ. Now, if you're here today and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, would you let us pray with you and for you? God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.